gathered last week in our evening service, I set before you some ideas relating to what might be called in Paul's words in Romans 12, a reasonable service. What is the service that we should render to God that is reasonable, answerable, uh, in logic, in the things that we in our minds would see is appropriate and proper to be doing in the light of the great mercies of God that have met us in the salvation that Christ has, 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 has worked for us. What are the behaviors that best accord uh, with the realities of our salvation in the Lord Jesus? And I suggested there were, oh, we could look everywhere in Scripture and find much that addresses the questions of the things that God requires of us, the things He calls us to be and to do. But there are two places in Scripture that, in my mind, provide us with a, a very rich, um, a very rich treasure house of of, of, uh, of, of knowledge and of information, and of um, exhortation, of directive um, that uh, gives something of a full and a comprehensive picture of how the Christian life is to be lived. And uh, one is in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 10 and the other is in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12. And I tried to show you some of the parallels between those two chapters last week and almost to the point where, in my estimation, Paul writing Romans was probably reading Deuteronomy. I mean, I don't know that he was, but, you know, you can make a good guess that a lot of the thoughts of Deuteronomy were in his mind, because it certainly worked its way into his letter. And um, I want to uh, spend some time in the, remain, the, months, the weeks that remain to us this summer in our evening services um, addressing some of the concerns of um, Deuteronomy 10 and also in Romans chapter 12. And if we don't get to Romans chapter 12 this year, that's fine. We can put it off to next year. we do Deuteronomy chapter 10 um, this year. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. Um, we read this. I'll turn in your Bibles uh, in the 12 chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to start the reading at verse 10. And here in the context of Moses reviewing uh, God's dealings with the nation not only from Egypt uh, to Sinai, but uh, the sins at Sinai, the sins of failure to go up into the land. Um, when they saw the, the people of the land that the spies thought were too great for them ever to engage in war, and hence they did not obey God's word. And, uh, and then the ways in which God provoked them to anger time and time and time again. But every time uh, the Lord... Um, forgave, he relented, he didn't do them the full harm and uh, that their sins deserved and uh, by his great power and outstretched arm um, God has made this people his people and God has made them his heritage um, and uh, so in the, in the 12th verse um, the, here's the word that God gives to Israel in kind of summary fashion summarizing all that should be in their minds and hearts in the light of the great things that God has done we sang the hymn, Give Him the Glory. Great things He has done. Well, in the light of the great things He has done, how is God to be best glorified? Well, um, Moses says in verse 12, And now, Israel, what does Yahweh, your God, require of you? What's the upshot of the things that uh, He requires? What's the appropriate response to the things that He has done? What's the fitting ways that you're to be um, serving Him? What is the reasonable service that the living God asks of you? Well, there are five things, and they're all verbs. Uh, first, there is to fear. To fear the Lord your God. Secondly, is to walk. To walk in all His ways. 
third place, the central thing is to love, to love Him, and then to serve, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and then finally to keep or to preserve the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good, for your good. Um, These are the things that God requires of Israel. These are the things in which their reasonable service consists, how they might glorify God in the light of the great things that he has done. And again, it's my intention to go through these five things, maybe taking one a week, maybe two a week, but I don't think so. So it may be that we never get to Romans, we just be in Deuteronomy the rest of the way this summer. Um, But as I mentioned, when you have a listing of things that are usually, when they're odd in number, like the number five, we have five things here, or in many instances, I've showed you in other contexts where seven things are set forth. When you see that odd number, generally speaking, the arrangement is such that the chief thing, the central thing, is the middle one. It's the thing that's in the middle. You have things leading up to the middle thing and things flowing out from the middle thing. What's in the middle? What's the central thing? What's the chief matter of our reasonable service to God? Well, here in the third item, It's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It is to love Yahweh. To love the Lord. To love Him. Certainly this commandment to love Him is echoed in the great creed that the nation of Israel was given um, that daily it was their practice to recite twice a day. It's called the Shema. From the opening words of Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad is the Hebrew of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 that's translated in the ESV Hear O Israel, hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one it's the great creed of monotheism the great creed of the unity of God of the singularity of God there is no other God besides him he is the God that Israel was called upon to know and to worship and to serve and chief among the things they confess and do as the people of, of, of God in the Old Testament is that you shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And if those words sound familiar to you it's because they are words that Jesus spoke. When Jesus was asked, what are the great commandments of the law? Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second commandment is like like unto it. In other words, the second commandment is not something different or something uh, uh, that is, you know, you go from loving God to loving something else. But what you love in the secondary place is because of your love to God. So it's like unto it. This is the way God's called us to love Him, in the way we love others, in the way we love others. So you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That the love to neighbor is to truly know God. God says this is what it is to know Him, is to serve Him and to serve others in His name. That's what's bound up in knowing God. Sometimes we think it's just that we can recite the carefully constructed words of a creed or a confession, which is not unimportant, but the reality is we can know the creed and we can know the confession backward and forward, 
and be a people who are dead to spiritual reality. We're dead to spiritual service. We're dead to the reality of the love of God. And Jesus says that uh, I desire mercy rather than sacrifice, quote in the book of Hosea. So it's not just a New Testament thing that Jesus says, that he favors mercy over just the rituals of sacrifice, which have their place, they have their importance, but in the context of knowing God, in the context of knowing the mercy of God. Um, so uh, there are the priorities that we're called upon to give ourselves to, and the priority we're called upon to give ourselves to as the people redeemed of the Lord, both Old and New Testament, is to love God. It is the first and great commandment of the law. What does it mean to love the Lord? Well, there are Hebrew words that are used and are translated love. Uh, There are a number of them. But in the book of Deuteronomy, the one that's normally translated love is the word ahav. And it is a word that is a general word that speaks of holding something in esteem or affection. It's uh, something that captures our, our interests, something that becomes a pervasive point of being enraptured and fixated. Uh, it's something that you can't look away from, but you're always looking towards, and you're always looking towards it with a, a sense of delight and a sense of joy. Um, it's something that involves again the entirety of our humanity and so so the command is to love him with everything with all that is within us heart mind soul and strength it's an interesting word in the way that it's used in the in the the old testament um, because often this word is powerful word that describes affection is used of the love um, that inferiors have to superiors such as a slave towards his master. Not that the Bible is endorsing the practice of slaves. There's nothing like the kind of slavery practiced in America in the ninth, well, really from the 17th century on. It was something more monetary and commercial, and there was always the release of the slaves every seven years. It was never intended to be a permanent condition. And um, but the point is that the slave might say at the point in time when it's he's going to be liberated, he's going to be uh, allowed to leave. I love my master. He's been a good master to me. He's uh, not been harsh. He's not been ornery. He's not been uh, brutal. He's been loving. He's been providing for me. Uh, I don't want to leave his home. And that attitude is acknowledged as the attitude of an inferior like a slave to one who is his master. To love the master. And of course it's the love that we are to render unto God. It seems to me, the, it's also the love that you're to render to the king. It seems to me the only relationship in which it's inappropriate to use this word for uh, an inferior to a superior would be the father-son relationship. And the father-son relationship is never the emphasis the son loves the father. It's always the emphasis the father loves his son. Um, So the sense in which the Bible recognizes though the children are smaller than we are and they're dependent on us, they really rule the roost. They're really the ones that we're given to care for. And they take our time and our energies and our interests that we are to expend in loving them, in nurturing them, in raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But again, it's, just, it, it's something that takes our time 
It takes our energies, it takes our talents, it takes our enablements and our abilities to invest into the object that we love. It's not just a passing emotion. Well, I love you, bro. Right. Well, you know, never call you, never come by, never invite you to dinner, never have anything to do. But I love you, bro. I just have this sense of love. Just a fleeting, passing emotion. No, this is an affection that is um, committed to the object that's loved. To render our beings to be oriented towards that object that's loved as a father would love his children. So um, the Lord loves his children. God shows his pity as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those that fear him. And, And the point of our responsibility to love him always seems to be in a way that reciprocates a love that we never began. Love never really begins with us. Left to ourselves, we're not loving. Left to ourselves, we are self-absorbed, we're self-interested, we're self-centered, and the whole matter of love is pamper me. Please me. It's the sort of self-centered love that's the kind of love that's celebrated, hardly can be called it love, in Hollywood. I love your baby, and I need your baby, because you make me whole. It's what you do for me that's the point of that kind of love. It's not what we do for the object that we love. But the biblical love is outgoing love. It's God's, it's a, it, it's, it, it imitates God's love towards us, which is not self-absorbed, because God has no need for us. He's, it's, he's fully sufficient in and of himself. We don't add anything to God. He doesn't need anything. In his own being, he loves in his own inter-Trinitarian person, or his own inter-Trinitarian being, with the persons of the Trinity, fully satisfying one another with the common love and interest they have invested in, in one another. And what God does in creation, and loving his world, and loving creatures made in his image, is he brings us to experience and know something of the outgoings of his love. Something of the fact that, uh, not that we, we, uh, minister to him or supply anything to him but it's what he gives to us it's what he gives to us and it's the greatness of the love which God loved us in a love that uh, has no regard for anything that uh, was lovable about us and that's something that the book of Deuteronomy certainly emphasizes it's not because Israel was a bunch of lovable people that God just had to, to put his love upon them because they were so worthy of his love uh, quite the opposite now look at chapter 7. In uh, chapter 7, verse 6, For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. This is 7 and verse 6. Uh, Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. Another passage later on, I think it's in chapter 8, where he says, it's not for the sake of your righteousness that the Lord chose you. So it's not that you're more a number, it's not that you're more righteous, it's not that you're better looking, it's not that you're more talented, it has nothing at all to do with anything that is deserving in the object love. The love that God has towards his people is simply because the Lord loves you. It's because the Lord loves you. And also the Lord is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Nothing in you, 
Nothing that you can pat yourself on the back and say how, how lovable I am. What a good boy am I. What a good person am I. How, how wonderful I must be that I am loved of heaven. God says, I love you freely. I love you without a cause in you. The cause is in himself and the cause is in his own purposes and plans and his oath and his covenants that he made with your fathers. That God comes and takes this nation uh, in unworthy in, in themselves and calls them, chooses them, chooses them and then calls them and enters into covenant with them. Though therefore, verse 9, the Yahweh your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And there's another word that's translated love. It's some versions it's not. It can be translated loving kindness in some um, versions. Um, there's other ways. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. And the word chesed has the notion of a love that's in it for the distance. It's in it for the long haul. It's not a love that is a fleeting love that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. It's a steadfast love. It's a love of commitment, not of convenience. God's committed to his people, and he will never leave us nor forsake us out of that commitment that he has towards his people. And so that's covenant love. That's promised love. That's committed love. That's love that never lets us go. And um, that's the love with which God loves his people. Again, having nothing at all to do with our worthiness or our deservingness or our loveliness. And yet there's a love that not only redeems unworthy sinners to himself, but it's also a love that recognizes the working of his grace in us. God's love towards us is not only that unmerited free love that has no regard at all for anything that's in us. But God has a love for us that's kind of like the proud parent that sees his kid go out on the baseball field and uh, pitch a perfect game and uh, hit, the, hit the winning home run to, to win the game. And, uh, you know, you love your kid before he ever got on the ba- baseball field. But then after that accomplishment, you just stand back with your arms folded and you're beaming and you say, man, oh man, I love that kid. I love that kid for the things that he has done, the things that he has achieved. And there is that kind of love that God has towards his people in that he does regard the good works of his people. Uh, You have Jesus saying in the passage we've been studying in John 14 to 16, uh, aspects of God's love that not only involves that free, gracious, unmerited love, but also that sort of love of, um, it's usually called in the old writers, the love of complacency. God has a complacent love. Not that it's indifferent, but that it's a, it's a love that views us in our efforts to please Him. And God responds um, favorably to the efforts of His people to please Him. He takes note of it. He regards His people. And He responds to the love that we, um, we express towards Him. Uh, look in uh, John 14. Get you the picture of what I'm looking to say is um, John 14 and look down to verse uh, well verse 18 Jesus says I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you in a little while the world will see me no more but you will see me because I live you will live also and that day you will know that I am in my father you and me I and you and whoever has my commandments and keeps them 
He it is that loves me. That's the way we demonstrate love to God. Part of it is the keeping of his commandments. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Wait a minute, Jesus. Doesn't the Father love us long before we ever loved you? Isn't it the fact that God so loved the world, even when it is the world, when it is fallen and depraved and rebellious, and yet God loves the world and he sent, gave his only begotten Son? that he gave him freely, not regarding our obedience. But here's a love that God notes in our efforts to please him, having his commandments and keeps keeping them. He it is who loves me, um, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. The Father takes note of the efforts of his people to please him and to serve him. And Jesus also, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As God gives us light and he gives us understanding and we are a people that receive that light and we walk in that light. Um, God notices. God is a God who regards his believing and obedient people. And then finally, it's a love that rewards his believing and obedient people with the reward of his presence eternally. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And so God is faithful um, and, and that the, they who... Uh, even give a cup of cold water in the name of, uh, of Jesus will not lose their reward. God will reward his people uh, with the reward of uh, his favor and his grace and salvation. Not that, that, not that that's the beginning of love. There's love, again, that's that eternal love. That love that set his love upon us before we had any being. That love that met us along before we did any good work at all. But yet it's a love that is also a love that um, notices the works of his people and that is rewarded in the the last day. And and you see, it's it's this love of God that is to be reciprocated by the people who are the recipients of that love. The love that redeems, the love that recognizes our efforts to serve him and please him, the love that he rewards with his grace and presence, is love that should be reflected in us as the people of God. Again, we love because he first loved us. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with him. Uh, Paul says, For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God reveals the way of love through the love which he has borne towards us. I think of how Paul says in the Thessalonican letter, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 the concerning love of the brethren you have no need that anybody write anything to you because you yourselves are taught of God to love one another well how are they taught of God to love one another if Paul isn't their, their teacher teaching them to love God well because the gospel teaches them the love of God the gospel is the full display of the love of God here in his love not that we loved God but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins God has demonstrated his love towards us and that when we were enemies, Christ died for us. It's the gospel that placards the love of God, puts it up on bulletin boards, so we all can see the reality of the love with which God has loved us. And the love with which he loves us, which he, he, with which he loves us is something we're called upon to imitate. imitate uh, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself to be the sin offering. So God demonstrates his love 
in action, in practice, in not only what he says about us, but what he, uh, what he does for us, what he provides for us, what he um, achieves for us in the blessings that the gospel confers. And as we have been freely loved by God, so we are to freely love others in his name. That's why the second part of the commandment is like unto it. It's not different at all from the reality of the love with which he loved us that reciprocates love to him. The love with which he loves us also calls us to reciprocate love towards others who know nothing of that love. Because again, God's love is this outgoing thing. God wants his love to be on display. He displays it in his son. He displays it in the proclamation of the gospel. And he displays it in the lives of his people. So even someone who's never ever read the Bible before would come and have some understanding that God must love this sinful, fallen human race. Because look at the way Christians love their neighbors. Look at the way Christians love their enemies. They obviously do serve a God who has love as the principal component of his own nature, because it's in their natures. Not by nature, but by grace. By grace, it becomes something of second nature to us as God's people to be a people who are taught to love, to love God, and to love neighbor for the sake of loving God. And so, we're to love God, but not just in a vertical relation of, oh Lord, how I love you. Oh Lord, I love you, I love you, and speaking the language of love continually, but it's in the way we love others, that we demonstrate the love of God. We demonstrate the reality that we have been recipients of the love of God, and we've been taught of God to love one another. And so it's the love of God that shows us the way to live in love towards God and to others. And um, it calls us to bask in the light of his love calls us to be ever reminded of the greatness of his love Um, because that's really the motivating factor that renews our love Uh, I grew up in the midst of the summer of love 1967 is that the summer of love? I think it was Haight Ashbury, hippies love beads love signs, love love everywhere L-U-V and, you know, we thought we changed the world just by loving other people. Just by putting daisies in the face of the National Guardsmen holding their M-16s. And you put a flower. Flower power. Love power. You changed the world. How did that project go? <laughs> it didn't go very far. As oftentimes it's been said, the, the summer of love became the winter of hate. Um, people became bitter. People's hopes were disillusioned. They weren't going to change the world with flower power. They weren't going to change the world by tuning in, turning on, and dropping out, and all the other little uh, slogans that were were there. Uh, All you need is love. All you need is love. Well, you need something more than love. Um, You need power to sustain love. And you don't get that within your heart. You don't get that as something that's self-generated. You don't get that as something that you just bring up from within your own resources because you don't have resource to continually love the only thing that could ever make love a constant reality is that our love is constantly replenished with an infinite source 
of love. That we've come to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. So that even when you don't feel like loving, you can reflect upon how greatly we've been loved. You, you have something outside of yourself that you can look to. Outside of yourself that you can draw from. Resources that you don't have within. That, that they come to you through the reality of the love with which God has loved us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. Just look at what He's done for you. You should love Him with all your being, and you should love Him in the way you treat other people. And the way in which you're going to be able to do that is that you dwell on the reality of the love He's had towards you. Not because you were so wonderful and great, and not because you were numerous in size, and not because you were righteous, and not because you were so lovable, but because He's the God who, out of Himself, love proceeds love is extended and love is to be extended even to the ends of the earth through the missionary call of the gospel to bring the message of God's grace and love in Christ to a lost and needy world to teach people the way of love to show much show them how God has loved you know many cultures of the world we don't have we don't appreciate this I mean we for the most part grew up in a Christian culture we grew up with things like charity being something that was something just the people did when they knocked on your door and they asked for donations for the American Cancer Society people ponied up money because hey we're part of a culture that had that as part of our heritage that when need exists you respond to it you respond to it in love because God responds to the needy God is the God of the poor and of the and, and of the widow and of the orphan um, and we're called to respond to the need of others uh, as we are able uh, it's the love of the gospel that comes and teaches us the way of love. But you know, in other cultures, they had no knowledge of that. They had no understanding of that. When a lot of these multinational companies began to work in other countries, they began to find out that the people in those countries didn't have a clue about charity. They didn't have a clue about uh, giving money to the, the poor and the needy. Uh, it's the Christian gospel. I mean, people had to actually go over there and start to teach them about these things. And so you have foundations now that are sponsored by Toyota. But originally it, was, no, it wasn't there. It's really the product of Christian culture coming to these other places um, because it's the gospel that teaches us the pathway of love and enables us to love perseveringly and to love joyfully and to love um, just out of the sense of, that we are a people who have been so greatly loved by God. Again, we love because He first loved us. And it's out of the greatness of the love with which he loves us that it is our reasonable service to be a people who abound in love. Bound in love towards our God, but demonstrate that love in the way we love other people. Again, uh, John says, uh, he who says he loves God, and yet he, cut, he shuts up the, 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 the heart of his compassion against others. How does the love of God dwell in him? How does the love of God dwell in him? If the love of God is a reality, and that love again is missionary love, it's outgoing love, it's love that's looking to spread uh, from us as recipients of that love to others who become the objects of our love, um, then how does the love of God dwell in someone that has no desire to demonstrate love, to respond to need, who can easily shut up the compassion of his heart against other people? Again, John sees it as an impossibility because we who love God are to be willing to give up our lives for others. 
And that's what the gospel calls us to. The love of God will call us to um, give our lives if needed. And most, for most people in the world, we're never called upon to give the ultimate sacrifice of our lives. But we are called to give of our time, of our interest, of our substance, of our talents uh, to minister, to serve, to not just allow those gifts to go unused, but to actively and energetically use those gifts in loving service and commitment to others. Yes, we do it in the name of Christ, but we do it because we are people who have been loved by Christ and called upon to spread that love and share that love with a world that so desperately needs to know the love of God in Christ and to know it even if they never open up a Bible they'll see it and know it in God's people and I've often said when I've had opportunity to tell my own personal testimony I was not converted by cleverly constructed doctrinal statements that came to me by some premier theologian and exegete who was going to just wow me and sound me with the gospel um most of the time when people told me the gospel, I just laughed at it. I didn't think it would have any relevance for me at all. It didn't seem to be anything that I could at all relate to. Jesus loved me and died for me. Okay, but uh, how does that put bread on the table? What does that do for me in a practical way? But when you see the steadfast love of Christians towards you, and in the time of need, you realize it's uh, the people of God, perhaps you can turn to, who will have wisdom and have interest and have compassion um, I mean that's what happened to me in the summer of 1970 when in the time of great distress I reached out to Christians and they didn't spurn me, they didn't turn me away and they showed me something of the love of God and I came finally to say well Lord um, I, I think I'm copping out on, on the reality of you that I see in your people the reality that you are and uh, that you care for me because they care for me those who call upon your name care for me and uh, it must be you taught them that and it must be that you care for me as well so at a time of great need and distress I I called upon the Lord and uh, he heard my cry and he pulled me out of the miry pit and uh, put my feet upon solid ground all that language in the 40th Psalm does seem to have something of a replication in my own experience um was a precious psalm to me but um, it was the love of God's people that was the compelling argument uh, for the gospel and uh, that should be something that we uh, endeavor to do as we uh, endeavor to love God is uh, to recognize that that's not just uh, me and my Bible alone with the Lord it's me actively out there in the world endeavoring to love people in Christ's name and to show them something of the love with which we've been loved by the gospel so um, what is our reasonable service? It's to love God. And it's to love God not only in the way of private devotion, but in the way of public service for the gospel. Being high-profiled Christians in a fallen world, uh, holding forth the word of life as we endeavor to love the world in his name and um, seek to bring them to the knowledge of him and of his salvation. Well, God willing, we're going to branch out from that love with which we are called upon to love God, uh, to see the ways that love is revealed in our fearing Him, in our uh, walking with Him, in our serving Him, 
and in our keeping his commandments. I really think that's the central duty out of which the rest of the Christian life flows. So I hope that's in some measure helpful, a word of exhortation to us all uh, to pursue the love of God, to keep ourselves in the love of God, as Jude 4 says. Uh, Jude, and probably later on in the book of Jude, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Maintain the love of God. Lead with the love of God. Let the love of God be central. It's central in Scripture. It's central to the Gospel. It's central to the commandments of God. It's central to God's ways with us. It's something that's central to the things the Gospel teaches us that we learn from God. So let's be about the business of being and about the doing, not just the talking, about loving the Lord. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you call us into a relationship to yourself in which you seek our love. Lord, we are the recipients of your perfect love, of a love that never lets us down, a love that never lets us go, a love that never fails. Our love is oftentimes just um, momentary. It's something that appears and disappears. But Lord, we pray that we would dwell upon your love, that we would be enraptured with who you are, that we would be filled with a deepening affection and longing to know you better and to know the grace that is in Christ with a fuller understanding that love might be the great uh, uh, tone and temper of the lives we live before you in the way we relate to other people in your name in the way we seek to spread the message of the kingdom unto others. We pray that the love that you shed abroad in our hearts will be shed abroad in the hearts of others through the witness that we bear, not just with our words, but with our works, not just with the things we say, but with the lives that we live. So we ask you to hear our prayers, and we ask you to help us to um, keep ourselves in the love of God as we come and we ask these things with thankful hearts for your blessing and towards us this Lord's Day and the, the wonderful ways that you meet with us and encourage us and teach us. So be pleased to hear our prayers and uh, receive our praises as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just thinking about it. I guess one of the reasons it uh, doesn't really say to love your parents is that the command is to honor them. That's probably the reason that word for love is not used in that relationship. But uh, you know, certainly the parental love of, of a child that does point. To some, I think there's something of the meaning of that word in terms of how we invest ourselves into the lives of people we do in the lives of our children so we're to do in the lives of others so anyway
Mike, good to have you with us. Thanks. Uh, I'll cut out. Thank you. Okay. Have a blessed week. Thanks. I'll be in touch about the sermon titles for you. Okay? Okay. Okay now. there today? Huh? Did he go there today? I guess he might have. I don't know. Uh, his, uh, uh, Harlow is not there. She was with uh, where her parents are. Because we, te- we tend to see their cars in the driveway yeah. when we come back from church, unless they go to an early service. Yeah. But it's a, there's a lot of sun.
you know, because if I was just to judge from what, what we see, Yeah, just from what we see, I, I would have not thought they were attending regularly anywhere. Yeah. This might be something new. Well, that's a church more like what he grew up in. Yeah, it's more like what he grew up with. He did say that he did say that the truth was being preached. So the other thing is. Jeff goes to Sunday goes summer school and he's working he's off in August. They're going to Portugal for three weeks out there before she was desirous to get back there and I think something came for so that's good that she's got so Who's that March? Tim, tell me when you feel it's it. It's connected to, to the computer. Yeah. Runs off the computer. You feel it at all? 
I feel a little bit on my forehead. Doesn't reach as I far as you. <laughs> yeah, I felt it the whole time because I was in the front. I felt like I sat in front row one day. I said, I felt like I was on top of you. So I, I sat in the front seat one day and I had to move back because I felt like I was on top of you. That's why I sit here. So not quite on top. 